um, our life um, as Christians, as we pick up and look at one verse today, which is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 8. And we will read the word of God together and we'll ask the Lord to give us insight as to what his word means and we'll see what he has for us. Let us read together. First Thessalonians chapter eight, um, chapter four, verse eight. Consequently, he who sets this aside is not setting aside man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is what verse 8 says. Let us pray. Lord, we are unable to see the truth unless your spirit guides us. We are unable to obey your word unless your spirit enables us. So, Father, we come knowing our, our, and acknowledging our inability so that you may work in us to illumine your word and the meaning and also apply it to our lives so that we may be conformed to the image of your son jesus christ in whose name we pray amen so i know i just read from one verse to kind of give us context for those of us uh, most of us in this room weren't here last week since we're doing a joint service I want to go back and give you the larger context from verse 3 and read it to verse 8 so that we get the full gist of the, the warning, so to speak, in verse 8. Where Paul writes from verse 3 to 8, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the, in the matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God did not call us to impurity, but in sanctification. This is where he picks up and says, as a result, consequently, he who sets this aside is not setting aside man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So when you look down at your Bible and see verse 8 and how verse 8 starts, it says, therefore, in some translations, some, some translations have so. And my translation reads, consequently, which Paul is introducing this idea by making this logical inference, pointing back to what he has been reasoning with us in the last few weeks. What he has been reasoning with us is that the will of God for your life is sanctification. The will of God for your life, if you've ever wondered, is your sanctification. It's clearly put here. And so he's going back and connecting this idea of sanctification more specifically in terms of how 
you are to abstain from sexual immorality. And for those of you that were here last week and that weren't here last week, as, as a revision, that word, we hear sexual immorality in the Greek is porneia. And you guys can hear the connection of that, and which was an industry. And those things were explained dearly and thoroughly last week. I hope, I wish we had recorded that and made that available, but it wasn't. So in terms of that, God wants us to abstain from that, to, to control our bodies in terms of that, and not go beyond what God desires for us in that aspect. And this is what Paul has been arguing in the, in the immediate context. This is what we find. He's saying in light of the will of God, in light of his avenging, even in verse 6, and in verse 7, in light of his calling to be holy, we must now take heed. We must now listen and pay attention as something serious, like warning. This is what this is, these are the words that he uses. We have solemnly warned you. We have told you before. For God did not call us to impurity, but in sanctification. Therefore, he who sets this aside is not setting aside man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So he's making that connection. I wanted to make sure that we're making that, that you're, you see the connection. This is not just written out of, in, in a vacuum, out of context. So what Paul is, in this verse, what we see is Paul is giving this personal warning by considering the contrast and attributes so that they may be obedient not to reject God's will for them to be sanctified. In the same way it will apply to us, and whenever I say them and they, you can apply you and yours. So what he's giving us here is this personal warning considering the contrast and attribute so that you may be more obedient, so you may not reject God's will for you to be sanctified, to be holy, and to pursue a holy life in accordance to your calling. So with that being said, I want to lay out, before I give you the outline for, for today, I want to lay out some a working definition of what it means to reject, because that's what we see, right? He who sets aside or he who rejects. So it's not about, this is, this is about rejecting. So the action here that Paul is talking about is, what does it mean to set aside? What does it mean to reject? So here's a working definition that I want you to have about rejection. This is considering something invalid or to ignore something or to rebel against something or someone. Or to violate, and notice the buildup, by the way, even in the, in the way that I'm defining it. You don't just violate some law unless you're rebelling against it. You don't just rebel against it unless you ignore its authority. You don't ignore someone's authority unless you think that person and that word or that whatever it is that you're unless you think of it as something invalid and consider the motive by 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 the way of the root word here by the way uh, for this greek word is is to put in your mind or in your heart 
an intellectual presupposition to put in your heart and in your mind based on an assumption that you bring forth from some, some, something else, somewhere else. Right? We are, we'll talk about the, the motives here in a, little, in a little bit, but rejection is to consider something invalid and therefore you ignore its authority, then you rebel against it and you violate its laws. You violate the parameters. So I wanted to give you that working definition. So anytime I say reject or set aside and we come back to it, this is what we mean by it. So here's the outline of the warning where this warning, what the first thing I want you, I want us to notice is this warning is personal. And this warning also shows a contrast between man and God. And this warning is dependent on God's own attribute. So these are the, the three things of the three points of observations that I want to show you that this Paul is given this personal warning, which involves a contrast of the attributes. So what does it mean to be personal? Why is why is it why do I want to emphasize that this warning to not reject in verse 8 is personal? Look down with me to verse 8. Consequently, he says, he who rejects, he who sets this aside. You notice that he's saying he. And you hear that and you're like, "Oh, it's not about me. It's about he, the person next to me. Or he's generally just speaking out there as a as something abstract. It's just something that's outside of me. This doesn't apply to me. This warning doesn't apply to me. But it is put here so that the readers, originally the Thessalonian church, is almost supposed to see their individual names as this is being read to them. Paul is describing a person. He's not describing an idea or a, a theoretical being. This is some, something that you can just make up in your mind. He is describing a person with, with who he hears and, and rejects or considers invalid or, or, or ignores and rebels. This is a person. He is warning you. There's a sense where, where we should see each of our names written in this portion of Scripture, where he's saying, he who sets this aside. And I want to emphasize this point because it is very easy to consider this generality and to consider and make it impersonal, that this doesn't apply to me. This is about them out there. Because that's the condition of our hearts, especially for those of us that have grown up in the church, that come to church every week, that consider ourselves to be Christians, somewhat religious. We know what the Word of God is. So it, it's so easy for us to fall in the trap where the Pharisees fell in that trap as well. 
And this is why the Lord Jesus himself in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 says, he, and he told them, Luke tells us, he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others in contempt. So it's easier. This comes natural to us to say, oh, no, I'm good. This doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sexually pure. You know, I've never really done any of this. And I, and I know I'm, I want to be, because this is the context, right? I, I, don't, I don't struggle with that sin. You know, I, I, don't, I don't look at a woman in lust or a man in lust. And, you know, I'm not doing all this. This doesn't apply to me. It's about them. This goes beyond that. Your sanctification is your holiness, your Christ-likeness. So you can justify yourself like these people did, right? And then even in, in this statement I'm making, it's about these people, not us. That's why I want it to be personal. This is why Paul intends to be personal. This is why I say, let it be written in your heart that this is also referring to you. This is a personal warning. In Matthew's account, uh, in, uh, in, in the Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 to 5, our Lord himself reminds us to, to avoid such thinking. To avoid to be righteous in our own eyes, to trust in ourselves, and look at others with contempt by reminding us, and why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say, to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log of, uh, out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So it's important for us to take this command, this warning that if we reject this, we're rejecting God's own word. We're rejecting God, not man. So it's important for us to, to heed to these things, to take it personal, to see how implicit I am in not living a life that is according to the will of God. It's a personal warning. It's important that you take this warning of rejection personal. It's important so you may see the log in your eye. Once you see the log in your eye, that naturally should take you to what? Asking the Lord to show you the areas of your life where you are rejecting him. As some people might, it may be very obvious how they reject it. So it's easy for us to say, ha, see, they don't even come to church. At least I come to church. See, they don't even sit through the sermon. They're always moving around. See, I do it. See, they're rejecting it because they're unbelievers. Yet there are areas in our lives, and the Lord knows this, that might even be blind spots for ourselves where we are rejecting God's will for us to be sanctified. 
So when you take this warning personal, it should drive you to ask the Lord to show you those areas. Where is the log in my eye? Because I can't see it. It's not as obvious for me to see my own flaws because I'm partial to myself. I like looking at myself in a, in a, in a greater light than others. Where is that, Lord? Show me. So it should make you draw near to Him. Where am I ignoring you? Where, what part of my life am I rejecting you? What part of my life am I rebelling against you? What part of my life am I violating your commands? When we take this warning personal, this is where it leads us. So that we may say with David, Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Do you see what he's praying for? Now, this is David. And if, any, if you know anything about David, David is one who is referred to the one after God's own heart. The God and God has promised David and through his line, Christ Jesus was born, right? This is, this is the king of, the best king of Israel. And even he prays this prayer saying, search me. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me because we do not know our own blind spots. So unless we take this personal, this warning personal, it's easy for us to deflect and say, I'm good. I'm living a sanctified life. I'm living according to the will of God. Why else would I be here? See, I don't curse, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I'm not addicted to drugs, I'm not addicted to pornography, I'm not, I'm not lying, I'm not stealing, I'm not doing all these things. And you can self-justify just like the rich young ruler did. So take this personal. Ask God to show you your blind spots. When you do this, we must do this, by the way, considering the contrast of whom you reject. When you ask God, what part of my life is in rejection to your will? What part of my living, my Christian walk, is one that is setting aside your will for my life? Consider this in contrast. Do you see the contrast in verse 8? He who sets this aside is not setting aside man, but the God. 
So the contrast, which is the second point of our outline here, is between man and God. It's very clear. I don't have to travel so far to show you that. It's right there. You're not rejecting man, but God. As Paul presents this contrast as the object of rejection. You can reject man, or you can reject God. So if I were to present it to you today and take a toll or a poll here in the survey, most of you would say, of course, it's better to reject man than God. No question. That's what we would say of face value. It's better for us to obey God and reject man than obey man and reject God. But I want to pause a question to you. Is that what you practically do? Is that what our practice is? Because we say these things, but do we actually live out that kind of lifestyle? What do you call a person who says one thing and does another? Jesus referred to them as hypocrites. And what is one of the biggest charges that we hear about the church, about Christians? How are Christians presented to us in a larger society, whether in movies, whether, whether it's in books, as ones who say one thing but do another as hypocrites. This is why I'm presenting this contrast. We can sit here and say in Christianese, yeah, we want to reject man and obey God. We don't want to obey man and reject God. That's what we want to do. Yes, we want to do the will of God. Father, not my will, but your will be done. We sing all of that. We, we finish singing it. Not even five minutes later, we're doing our own will. So I want us to really consider the contrast between who you are rejecting. If we're honest, in most areas of our life, we are like those who are described in this verse, John chapter 12, verse 42 and 43. We're like these people. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him. So far, so good. They believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. They would be cast out. They wouldn't be as cool people as, as, as society would accept them. They didn't want to be cast out of the synagogue because they trusted in Jesus, because they were Christians, because they have submitted their will for the will of the Father. For they loved the glory of men rather than the glory of God. 
I don't have to travel far to explain the meaning of this verse or its application to our lives. We want to be accepted, especially when we're younger. We want to be a part of something. We want to fit into the cool group. We want to be able to, 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 to engage and uh, create this meaningful relationships and everything else. But if Christ demands us to not have those relationships, then we're like, ah, you know, uh, I don't know if I can confess Christ in this situation. We might even search the scriptures. We might even read our Bibles privately. But in public, we're kind of like, oh, I don't know. We may say that we reject, we don't reject God's will for our lives to be sanctified. But our behavior is one that shows exactly that. Rejecting God's will for our lives. Turn with me to John chapter 5. I want to show you an illustration of how this actually plays out. Among those who are religiously astute. John chapter 5. Picking it up at verse 39. This is how the Lord illustrates this point to us. He says to them, John 5, 39. He say, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. To this point where I would make, sure, if you search scripture, read scripture, you will find the gospel in it, you will find Christ in it, and therefore you can be saved. It's not saying don't read your Bible, just as an aside. However, what did these people do? It is these, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. This is the Lord Jesus talking. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you. That you do not have the love of God in yourself. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you don't seek the glory that is from the God, the only God? Do you see that? Do you see what the point he's making is if somebody comes in his own name, and calls himself top G. You would take his word as gospel. And conform your behavior according to what he says it is. But when God commands you to live a holy life that is submitted to his will. Ah, uh, you know, nobody's perfect, you know. We all sin. And I might even quote some scripture here and there. 
you know, all have fallen and, uh, you know, you know, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, I can't make it. Nobody's perfect. Because what God requires of you, you are unwilling to believe and trust in what he says. This is an illustration that, that we see here. Again, if we go and you can listen to this, um, you don't necessarily have to go there. Again, in Mark 7, verses 5 through 9, this is what Jesus says to them. And, um, and this is how Mark describes it. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? You notice that question? Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat their bread and defi with defiled hands? And he said to them, that is Jesus, Rightly did Isaiah say, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Leaving the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And he was also saying to them, you are good at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. Do you see the contrast? There's a commandment of God and it is a tradition of men. Back in 1 Thessalonians, he says, you're not rejecting man, but you're rejecting God. This is our condition. This is the condition of the world that's perishing. We have areas of our lives where we want to hold on to our tradition, to what we used to. That's what tradition is, right? It doesn't have to be something sophisticated. It's just something that I know what to do. This is my daily routine, my habit that brings a tradition about the way I live. So if I'm used to doing the same thing, wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is roll over, check Instagram, check TikTok, check Snap, make sure that the weather's good, and then I put it down, and then go on YouTube, watch a bunch of YouTube shorts or whatever, and then I, I get up, brush my teeth, wash my face, and then I go to school, and I come back, do some homework, go get on the game, whatever my, that's, that becomes your routine, that becomes a tradition that you set for yourself, personally. While in the meantime, you're rejecting the existence of God, the necessity of God, the, what he desires from you. I'm not saying TikTok is bad. I'm not saying YouTube short is bad. But at what cost? Which one is more valid? I'm not saying social media is bad. Don't hear me say that. I just made a whole announcement saying follow us on Instagram. Right. But in this context, what Jesus is saying is 
they put so much emphasis on their own tradition, on their own lifestyle, on what mankind have, have put forth as philosophies or worldviews and what have you, instead of what God has commanded. So outwardly, we say we're Christians. Yeah, we're believers. We believe in God. But in our hearts, we are rejecting him. Our hearts are far away, according to Isaiah here, according to Jesus himself quoting Isaiah. By the way, I didn't just, just realize I didn't start my timer, so the sermon just started. And we're already in the second in the second point, <laughs> just to let you know. So uh, hang tight, buckle in. We're going to be here for a while. No. It's just going to make me feel like I finished on time, even if I push it, because I just started my timer. And so my countdown goes down now. So I digress. I come back to it again. We may say one thing, where is your heart in contrast to that? If you take this warning where Jesus says, you are good at setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tra tradition. If you take this warning personal that Paul is setting in front of, before us, you must also identify this contrast in your life. What areas are you putting much more weight to the traditions of man than to what God commands you? It's not a secret that there are many competing traditions. I mean, for most of us in here, we are Americans being raised in Abisha households, in Ethiopian households. There's even a struggle between those two traditions, just, just generally speaking. And then there's the tradition of our parents, and then there's a the tradition of today. There's what is normal today, and there's what was normal in their time. And there's, there's this contrast, there's this fight in between that. There's competing traditions. There's these competing ideologies, competing worldviews, competing philosophies. Where they find their source and humans that are influencing the way we live our life. It could be political. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm more conservative. Oh, I'm, I'm more liberal. I vote Democrat. I vote, I know most of you in here may not vote, but we live close to DC that the conversation is like that. Oh, I vote Republican. You know, the, the, those Democrats are like this. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-choice. All these competing ideologies. Let's, oh, I think evolution is right. No, I'm a creationist. Oh, we have to listen to the science. Oh, no, science has no, no place in, in this place. Oh, you know what? I just want to live life and be happy and be merry and do this. No, you have to live your life as if your every moment matters. All these things that are going on in your decision making. Many competing traditions. Where do they find their source? Well, if you follow the contrast, one finds a source in 
man, the other one finds its source in God. When God's will for you is to be holy, that's it. I mean, look, look, look at verse 3. It cannot get any clearer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. I don't have to explain it. I don't have to tell you the, the meaning of the word in the Greek and in the Hebrew and try to go into this theological depth of it. It's as clear as day. For this is the will of God, comma, which is inserted, your sanctification. How can you reject that? God wants you to be holy according to his own will. Not your own meaning of what it means to be holy. Not what the world teaches us is what it means to be holy. Not your own ideologies of sanctification. But as he has commanded in his word in the scriptures. Remember, I said, when I, when I said, let's, let's find the motivation of why we reject the things we reject. Because we insert what it means to be holy in our own eyes. Oh, to be holy, you have to pray five times a day, uh, fast twice a week, and then fast for 40 days and read six chapters a day. And then um, all your conversations must begin in, in this manner. When somebody says hi to you, you must say, oh, uh, how are you? How are you today? I'm uh, blessed and highly favored, brother, you know. I mean, those things, if they come from a pure heart, if they come from the right place in your heart, Great. But that doesn't make you holy. What you do doesn't make you holy. As we will see here in a second. As we see the attributes of God, what makes you holy. The demand for you is to be holy. The demand for you is to consider God to be holy. The demand for you is not to distract people in the middle of, converse, in the middle of service. Remain Holy, that's what sanctified means. Remain set apart. If When God's will for you is to be holy. And to seek his kingdom above all things. What are you seeking right now above all things? Is it your pleasure? Are you seeking to make yourself as comfortable as you could be? Are you seeking above all things the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or are you seeking a way, or is God a means to an end for you? That you want to hedge your bet to be successful and live your best life, and therefore you want to use God as, as a tool. Like if I do this, if I scratch, uh, click my heels three times and I, and I say this prayer four times, you know, God is going to swoop down and then do this for me so that I can be successful. 
that kind of mindset, if you bring it and say, okay, then if I'm, as long as I'm following that, you're in the tradition of men. God's will for your life is to be conformed into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, through the obedience of faith. So if that's what God's will for your life is, we cannot and we must not emphasize politics, socioeconomic principles, worldly wisdom, social media wisdom even, intellectual achievements, all those things. We cannot emphasize those things above what God desires for your life. And it's a very easy litmus test. It's a very easy standard. As we read today, this word, this commandment that I'm giving you is not hard for you. That's what Moses says in Deuteronomy 30, right? It's not something that you may ask. It's, it's not something that's in heaven that you may ask, who is going to go up to heaven and bring it for us so that we can hear it and we may do it? It's not that hard. How is my life looking more and more like the life of Jesus Christ as put in the scriptures, right? Because there's this tendency of thinking about Jesus as Jesus is love, you know? Jesus always walked around nice and he loves and he saves. Great. But he also called people hypocrites. He also condemned wrong belief. He gave woes to the Pharisees. He went in the temple where the house of God, where people were doing their own thing. You know, this is the house of God. Yeah, let's, let's make sure that everybody is comfortable. So let's, let's uh, you know what people want in the house of God sometimes? Uh, if we have some, some, some stuff over here to sell so that they can go and sacrifice it and then we can make money off the top. You know, we can give our tithes from what we make and then they, they make a house of God into a den of thieves. Do you remember what Jesus did? He went and cleansed the temple by flipping the tables over and he made a whip and drove everybody out. We don't tend to think of Jesus in that way. We want to just, Jesus is so soft. It's okay. You, I know nobody's perfect. That's the idea of what Jesus is for us. And he is compassionate. He is gentle and lowly. I'm not saying he's not. But you can't have one without the other. We can't emphasize one without emphasizing the other. Not our own ideology of who Jesus is. So when we are being conformed into the image of Christ, that's the Christ we're being conformed to. The Christ that doesn't take simple, disrespect, to the honor and the glory of God in his own household. He is serious about how we behave in the midst of the congregation, in the, in the house of God. Because this is a serious matter. It's a matter of life and death. And yet, same Jesus who is compassionate. Are you turning each day into that image. That is the litmus test to see if the contrast is applicable in your life. 
See, you can reject those things that are man-made. You can reject social media. You can reject critical race theory. You can reject politics. You can reject all these different things. Social justice and like identity politics and, you know, pro-life, pro-choice. Uh, like all these ideologies that you hold so dear, you can reject those. You can say, I don't believe in that and still live. What you can't do is reject God's word, God's will, and live. I mean, you may live physically, but you will die eternally. And this is what the Bible teaches us from, from the beginning to the end. This is, this is a cycle. Adam rejects God's will for him to be obedient. So he rejected God's will. And heard his wife, ate the fruit, died. And through him, all of us are born. Spiritually dead. You cannot reject God and live. This is a serious matter. This contrast is a matter of life and death. That's why I'm emphasizing this one verse. I want you to take this personal. I want you to take this contrast seriously. If you take this warning personal and you understand that this contrast is a matter of life and death, might even lead you to despair, might lead you to, to be so discouraged in your ability to be obedient to God at all times. But there's hope. And Paul intentionally does so. You must depend only on the attribute of God to live out of this life of sanctification. You must depend on God's own attribute. Look down again to verse 8. He who sets this aside is not setting aside man, but the God, which God? The God who gives. Who is a giver? What does he give? His Holy Spirit. Which leads us to the last point of our outline, which is the attribute of God as a giver of his spirit. Notice how Paul does not emphasize the attribute of man, by the way. He doesn't say, man does this. We're very accustomed to what we are, what we're capable of and what we're not capable of. So he doesn't even, he doesn't, like you're finite. Man is finite. God is eternal. You know that already. So I'm not even going to emphasize what, what, what the attribute of man is. But he emphasizes the attribute of God. His emphasis is on God. Specifically here. God the Father, who we saw in 
chapter 3, verse 11, 13. And the, and the person of the Holy Spirit here is the one that is emphasized. Who proceeds from him. Right? This is what Jesus says to his disciples, John 15, 26. When the advocate, and some, some translations have when the helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. It is as if Paul is trying to remind us, it's, it's, as, far as, it's as if Paul is trying to remind you that you cannot reject, you cannot ignore, you cannot rebel, you cannot violate the Father's will because He has given you, He gives you His own Spirit, His own breath, His own life, His own power to live in sanctification. Do you hear the encouragement in that? You, when you trust in Christ Jesus and His person and His completed work, Jesus promises to send you an advocate who comes from the Father, who proceeds from the Father, who lives in you. He is the Spirit of truth. This is the Holy Spirit. The spirit that is holy. What kind of life would a spirit that is holy cause you to live? Can a spirit that is holy lead you to live a life that is unholy, that is unbecoming, that is disrespectful, that is disobedient, that is dishonoring? Or would it lead you to live a life that is holy? Obviously, if Holy Spirit is indwelling, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, He is the Spirit of truth. He is the helper. He is the life that you... He is the, the vitality of the life that you have. The Holy Spirit is the helper, right? This is what John... Again, um, quoting Jesus here, 14, 16 to 17, that abides in you. Notice the contrast. As I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, advocate, that he may be with you forever. You see that? This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. You see, you see the wording, receive? In order for someone to receive, there has to be a giver. Notice what Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians. You are rejecting God, the God who gives. The Holy Spirit to you. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. You know him. Listen to this. You know him because he abides with you and will be with you. 
he lives with you and in you and he will continue to do so though this is not something that happens once and then you have to relive this whole thing over and over again once and done he's with you always so if you have faith in christ the son of god truly you cannot reject the will of the father it's impossible for us to reject the will of the father to be holy, to be sanctified, to be conformed into the image of His Son. Because He has given, and He gives you, and He will continue to give you the Spirit who will, to abide in you. Now, that's, don't hear me say that this is done to perfection on this side of glory. But it is done in a progressive way. Each day looking more and more like Christ. Would you reject God for the sake of man? Would you, when I say man, I mean you. Would you reject what God is teaching us today to please yourself? Would you take lightly what God is warning us to do or to, to heed for the sake of your own well-being? Because you are a man. I mean, man in the sense of human being. So if you believe, if you consider yourself a true believer, You can be encouraged to know that you will not be able to reject God's will for your life. So if you catch yourself rejecting the will of God for your life, if you notice that you are not being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ each day, maybe... Just maybe you must consider yourself to say, am I truly a Christian? Do I really have the Holy Spirit living in me? Because the Holy Spirit that lives in you does not cause you to live an unholy life. Now you may struggle with sin. That's a different story. That's a different topic. You may even fall with sin, but notice in sin, notice the language. You are struggling with sin. You are fighting against sin because the spirit is at war with the flesh. If that's what defines you, then the spirit is in you. But if you're content with sin, that you love your sin, you want to make it grow up in yourself. You don't even know that it's sin to do this and to do that. You don't even care if it's sin. You don't even consider the consequences of that. That's what I mean by you may want to revisit where you are. The spirit that is holy is living in you. He sets, he wages war against the desires of the flesh. 
This is a commandment that God gives, which is not hard because He is the one that is actually abiding in us to help us and to be our advocate, to lead us into all truth. He has given you the Holy Spirit, friends. So you may not reject Him. So you may be sanctified. In an immediate context, it's in terms of your sexual immorality, in terms of how well you control your own bodies. This is what he says. Each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. How are you controlling your own body? Is it in a way that shows you are growing in holiness and it's honorable? It's not hard to understand, but it's easy to reject. All you have to do is just read it. It's right there. And then if you have questions, QR code is in the back. Go ahead and scan it. This is a shameless plug for our Q&A for next month. Or stop me after service. Or God is back there, and there are some mature brothers and sisters back there. I didn't understand. But this is clear. It's easy to understand, but it's also easy to reject because we love the flesh. And if you have been given the Spirit through faith, you can be encouraged knowing that you can struggle with it and still not reject God and His will for your life. Going back to John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. This is the commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He gave a commandment to us. And the one who keeps His commandment abides in Him. And He... In him, we know by this that he abides in us. By what? By how are you living an obedient life individually and as a church? This whole series, again, to, uh, in closing, is not just for you individually to go and be holy and and. Be the holiest person you can be and live individually in your own little bubble. This whole context is in the church. Paul is writing to a church. So it matters in how you relate with one another. We saw that last week. That in this matter, do not cause, do not defraud your brothers and do not transgress your brother. So the way that we, we relate with one another, it matters. What your behavior outwardly in the, in the midst of the church matters. This is the commandment. So if you say inside that he lives in me, he, do you keep his commandments? And you know that he abides in you by how well you're keeping his commandments through the Spirit. We know this by... We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He gave us.
You can only obey by the Spirit that He gave you. He has given it to you. And He lives in you. And He works in you to conform you into the image of Christ Jesus. So take this warning to be obedient. Take this warning not to reject personal friends. Consider the contrast. Consider the alternative. Consider if you reject God from man, you have no life. If you reject what is natural for God, you have life eternal. And let that prompt you to depend and hold fast to God's own attribute to sanctify you. For He is the one that is a work in us, as Paul says in Philippians 2, both to will and to work, both to will and to do so that we may live out our, uh, our salvation in fear and trembling. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have given us this time to come before your word and to be sanctified by your truth, for your word is truth. Lord, give us hearts that are obedient to what has been spoken to us. Lord, it is not my own will, but it is your will for us to be sanctified. To be sanctified is not to be uniform. It's not an outward behavioral change, but a heart that loves God, that loves one another. And Father, you have made it not just available, but you have accomplished this through your Son, Christ Jesus, who is the one who gives us his righteousness, the one who models our sanctification to us, and the one who sends us your spirit so that he may live in us and dwell with us forever to help us as an advocate, to help us to guide us into your truth. So, Father, we ask that you convict us by your spirit to take this warning personal, to not reject you. Help us, Lord, to consider our decisions daily as we apply this truth which we learned today. To reject you and to accept and be obedient to our human nature leads to eternal consequences that is not right for us, not worthy, but give us help by your Spirit, Lord, as you have done so always and continue to do so, to not reject you, but obedient to you. Lord, apply this truth to the hearts of those who have heard this message in areas that you and them only know in their own lives. Lord, as we consider what we are about to do, to 
take communion, partake of this sacrament which you have instituted. Let us do so, not know, not believing and knowing that this is not a tradition of man, but this is a command from you, an eternal command. So let us do so with the right attitude, the right respect, the right approach. May your spirit work this out in us as we move to the next portion of our service. According to your will, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I now ask us um, to do something different. Uh, remain seated um, as the brothers come. And we are going to...